we are recipients of that amazing grace. And as a nation, we don't deserve what you've poured out in blessings on us. And Father, you see the challenges that we face today, the division that we have, the rancor, the, the conflict, the antipathy. And God, we declare that that you, the living God, are in charge no matter what we see. We pray for righteousness. We pray for, for a turning of people to God. That we won't look to our own solutions, but that we'll realize that, that you are the one who has the solutions. So, Father, we want to pray for our leadership now of this country, that you give them wisdom, that you give them insight. And God, that you would supernaturally rule in our hearts and lives and in the hearts and lives of our nation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. How would you like to pray? And know that prayer works. Prayer works. An article in Newsweek magazine entitled Talking to God claimed that 78% of Americans pray at least once a week. 57% pray daily or more often. 91% of women and 85% of men pray at some time. But does prayer work? Does it work? And how do we know? Have you ever felt that God didn't answer your prayers? You pray and your prayers seem to kind of bounce and ricochet off the ceiling and the walls, but nobody seems to hear. Are you praying for yourself? Are you praying for others? Are you praying for our country? Who are you praying for? We need prayer in our country. It's called intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is to plead or make a request for someone else. Doesn't mean we can't pray for ourselves, but intercessory prayer is to, to plead or make a request for someone else. Is it important that we pray? And can we really make a difference by praying? Augustine thought so. He said, without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. Sometimes God just waits for us to ask. He, he changes us, then he changes circumstances, changes people, then he changes histories. And God's answers to prayer include yes, no, and wait. Does prayer work? Yes, and no. There are some prayers that God does not answer, or prayers that, that don't work. And that's okay, I know I've prayed for some things. I'm sure glad God didn't give me the answer for that one. And then there are some prayers that do work. And if I needed God's help, and I usually need his help every day, I'd want to know what kinds of prayer works. Wouldn't you? Everybody here on the same page? Okay. We need to pray. Today we're going to talk about prayer that works. No matter what the need, whether it's our country that is in desperate need of prayer, or whether it's a circumstance that you're facing, whatever that is, I want us to look at prayer that works. I'd like you to turn with me to Luke 18. Luke 18 will be on the, on the projection, also on page 851, if you want to read 
along in the Bible in the front of you, in front of you in the, in the, in the rack. Luke 18, we're going to read verses 9 to 14. Luke 18, 9 to 14. It says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself to God. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers and evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is a parable or a story that illustrates a truth. Traditionally, it's called the parable of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I'm going to refer to the two characters in our story, just two, as the religious man and the tax man. Is that okay? The religious man and the tax man. Let's start with the context. Jesus' target. Who is Jesus targeting? Who is Jesus talking to? And how does it apply to us? What difference does it make? We have to ask the so what. What difference does it make to us today? First, Jesus told this parable to those who, letter A, trusted in themselves. Trusted in themselves. He was speaking to the confident, the self-sufficient, those who do not need anything. They don't really need God, or at least they don't think they need God. They're self-sufficient. Now, on a personal level, some of us are, are at this point right here. We run our own lives. Everything is fine. I have a good job. I have enough money. I work hard. I'm a nice person everyone likes and gets along with. I have no needs. I'm really pretty independent. And many people are in that, that category. As a church, as a church ministry, we program, we organize, we raise money if needed, we start ministries, we're busy, we have a great level of activity, everything's going well, we forget sometimes that we as a church need God. The mission of most churches is pay the bills. <laughs> pay the bills. As long as we can pay the bills, we're good. And we can have church if God shows up or not. And, and we'll put, pray for needs out there, somewhere overseas or in Africa or South America or Central America. But us, do we, do we need God? How about as a nation? As a nation, America. Our money reads, in God we trust. Is that just a, a quaint, outdated phrase? We fought the War of Independence, and we're celebrating that, that this week on, on Wednesday, Independence Day, the 4th of July. We're, we're a nation that prides itself in self-sufficiency. And then we wake up one day and find our, our courts and schools and nation have been taken over by radical militant activists who want to eliminate God from the public square. Or they want to eliminate the God-created scientifically verifiable difference between the sexes. And we wonder, what, what happened? Yes, yes, we need God. Jesus is talking to us we who trust in themselves, and we tend, as long as everything's going well, to trust in ourselves. Second, Jesus is speaking to those, who letter B, who thought they were righteous. They thought they were righteous. Verse 9 says they were confident of their own righteousness, self-righteous. The message says, pleased with themselves over their moral performance. 
Pleased to themselves are their moral performance. Now, most people in America today believe that human beings are basically good. And if left to their own devices, we'll create a utopia. Well, I think that's naive. It's widespread, but naive. You look around our world and you see, I guess human beings are probably not all good. Events around the world paint a quite different picture, but even in the Christian community, we, we like to view ourselves as righteous. And, and in Jesus Christ, we are righteous. God has made us righteous in God's eyes, but it misses the point. See, Jesus is talking to religious people, the, the good church people of that day. Personally, how good do I think I am? Yeah, better than most, not as bad as others, whatever. How about corporately, as a, as a church? How about, how about nationally as Americans? Are we pleased with our moral performance? That's who this is too. Thirdly, Jesus is speaking to those who, letter C, viewed others with contempt. Viewed others with contempt. Or looked down on everyone else. Now, we don't go out and, and look for people to put down. We're too sophisticated for that. Besides, it's not politically correct. We, we won't say things that we think. But there is a subtle, insidious problem that flows out of self-sufficiency and self-righteousness. And that tendency is to look down on other people. We have this, this issue sometimes in America. It's called ethnocentricity. We believe the, the world revolves around America. We're the only superpower. It's our worldview, our American way, our lifestyle, our, our values. And God has really blessed America because she was founded on Christian principles and a belief in God. But there are other cultures in the world as well. With, with the arrogance of self-righteousness and contempt, I think it's kind of doubtful that God's gonna even hear or answer our prayers. Because prayer power is released by humility. Humility and a recognition of need. There's no room for pride in prayer. No room for self-righteousness in prayer. Lloyd Ogilvy writes, the problem is not just our prayers, but the dominant focus of our total life. The dominant focus of our total life, our, our sufficiency. That's the context. That's, that's who Jesus was writing to. And I hope we can all identify somewhere in that place. Now let's look at the contrast, in the contrast. In this setting, this uh, context, two guys decide to pray, two guys. Both were Jews. Both wanted to pray, and both addressed God. But the similarity ends right there. We start with a religious man, letter A. Let's start with this posture. Body language can tell us a lot about a person's attitude. It says he stood. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying standing up. We can stand, we can sit, we can kneel, we can lay down, we can walk, we can, uh, we can pray driving as long as you keep your eyes open too. But you can do all kinds of different places and pray in different postures. Standing was a common Jewish posture for prayer. But the word suggests an attitude. <laughs> attitude, yeah. Now, when I first graduated from college, uh, I taught high school band and choir, and I had my choirs stand up at times, and I remember, you know, the way the students stood when I asked them to stand up for choir uh, for a period of time, it, it really showed their attitude. There was a reluctant slouch, you know, there's their rebellious stance, you know, then there's the eager lean, you know, they're, they're ready to get engaged in that. But 
when, when you're standing, you have a group of people standing, you know their attitude by, by how they stand. And, and the word that Jesus used for standing suggests standing with an attitude or standing ostentatiously or standing to be seen. This man wanted to look religious, okay? He wanted to look religious. He wanted to look good. He wanted people to notice. And that was his posture. He was standing with an attitude. Secondly, that was his posture. What was his prayer? It, first of all, he prayed about himself. This man was not, not necessarily praying to himself. He was inaudibly or silent, like a student would pray silently before taking a test. But this guy wasn't talking to God. He was talking to himself. He was reciting his virtues. He's, recit he's talking about how good he was. When we pray, are we talking to God or just talking about ourselves? It was, it was letter B, it was comparative. He said, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or this tax man. Today's version would be, God, I thank you. I'm not like the, the pimps and the prostitutes, exotic dancers and the drug dealers and alcoholic criminals, or like my neighbor who never goes to church. You know, there's this, this attitude of comparison. Problem is we're comparing ourselves to the wrong standard. God's standards are perfections, total righteousness, and we all fail at that. So if, whether we're, we're trying to reach 90% perfection or we're at 50% or 30%, whatever, if you're not perfection, he says, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. None of us can measure up to God's standard of perfection. So we've all, now there's none righteous, not even one. So comparisons, we can always find someone who's worse than we are, but do we want our prayer, our prayers to work? Thirdly, his prayer was based on externals, what I don't do and what I do, okay? What's observable, what he had done, not what he was. We don't become what we do, we do because of what we are. Let me say that again. We don't become what we do. We do because of what we are. In other words, we're sinners not because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's part of our inherent nature. And God doesn't base his relationship with us on externals. It's not externals. Now, we do that with each other to a point, but externals, generally speaking, are unimportant. What happens when a marriage relationship is based on yeah, externals, uh, on youth and beauty? What happens? Gravity happens. Gravity happens. We, we just all age, you know, so it just kind of fades. Okay? It doesn't last. Sooner or later, we all get wrinkles. I've, I have to laugh watching some news commentators. When they smile bigger, laugh extemporaneously, their wrinkles show. So they work really hard. Just watch these news broadcasters. They work really, really hard at keeping the broadcaster pucker. So, because if you smile or do something, then the wrinkles show. They don't want to show the wrinkles, so they have what's called a broadcast, I call it a, the broadcaster pucker. I don't know if anybody else calls it that. But we're all going to have wrinkles. Some of us will gain weight. Our hair, hair turns gray. Some of it exits. You know how that happens. Some sooner, some later. But we don't base our closest relationships on externals. Why do we try to do that with God? We cannot base our relationship on what we do or don't do. It's, it's based on who we are or what we are. Fourthly, his prayer was prideful. Pride twists our capacity for self-scrutiny and inward looking. 
It's possible to delude ourselves into thinking we're right with God because of our goodness or our accomplishments. Lloyd Ogilvie writes, the purpose of prayer is to see things as they really are. See things as they really are. Ourselves as we really are and God as he has revealed himself to be. The true person inside, our hopes, dreams, failures, sins, missed opportunities and potential. Pride just distorts all of that. And five, his prayer lacked humility. He was thankful to God for his own virtues, not God's mercies to him. Now this, this prayer was quite common, quite common in those days. The Pharisees had written prayers, and in these written prayers, they would thank God that he was a Jew, not a Gentile, a Pharisee and not a common person, and a man, not a woman. They actually had those written prayers, if you can imagine. He came up just short of congratulating God on how great he was. Plummer says, the Pharisee glances at God but contemplates himself. I love that. He glances at God and contemplates himself. Authentic humility asks three questions. What do I have that I was not given? What do I have that I was not given? Number two, who am I really? And number three, what are the next steps of adventure for growth? How do I need to grow? This man did not need God to help him accomplish his limited view of righteousness. His opening word to God was to God, but never again. He himself is never out of the picture. In true prayer, we are out of the picture. God is at the center. Humility, seeing things as they are. God is humble. Jesus is humble. He expects nothing less than that from his people. So that's the kind of prayer God won't answer, okay? Attitude of self-righteousness, self-sufficiency, and pride. This is the religious man. Now let's look at the tax man. Let's look at the tax man. Verse 13 says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What was his posture? What was this man's posture? It says he stood at a distance. Uh, the message says he slumped in the shadows. This man had a sense of unworthiness and humility. He didn't feel God owes me or I've earned it. He had a sense of who God was and who he was. Tax man was unlikely as a candidate for religious exercises. Normally tax collectors were both dishonest and betrayed their trust of their own countrymen, so he probably knew what he had done. He stood at a distance. Then he bowed his head. He said he, he wouldn't even look to heaven. There's nothing wrong with lifting up our heads and eyes or uh, even enclosed or open in prayer. But again, this showed attitude. It showed attitude. Should we be afraid? Should we be afraid of approaching God? No, but we ought to be respectful. We ought to be respectful. There's a balance. Hebrews 4.16, I love this verse, says, then let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. When it talks about confidence, it's not confidence in what I have done to earn things from God, but confidence in God, not ourselves. We are to come to God's presence with confidence. It says his grace, his mercy, his love, his acceptance, God's desire to help, God's power to help. But never forgetting who we are and who God is.
Then letter C, he expressed sorrow and regret. Said he beat his breast. It's a sign of sorrow. By his physical posture, his physical actions, we can see this man's true heart. There was humility, there was sorrow, there was need. He was truly repentant for his sins. He had unreserved confession. That was his posture. What, what was his prayer? God have mercy on me, a sinner. Be merciful. Another, another word is be propitiated, which means getting the cause of enmity removed. Let your anger be removed. This, this man recognizes what he deserves. He was rotten and he knew and he asked for mercy because that's all he dared ask for. And I believe this man was truly in the presence of God because when we come close to God, the closer we get to God, the more the contrast between his holiness and righteousness and our unworthiness becomes obvious. That we have to fall on our knees in humility and say, God, be merciful to me. Be merciful. The closer we get to God, the greater is our need. Do you feel that way today? God will hear your prayer. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. The Pharisee thought of others as sinners. The tax man thinks of himself alone as sinners, not, doesn't think of anybody else at all. So what's the conclusion? How does this end? Verse 14. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. God answered his prayer. It says a tax man is justified. The, the religious man is not. Now justified is an interesting word. Again, there's a, there are interesting constructs in grammar in, in the Greek language. And this justified is a perfect passive participle. Okay, Participle, some of you know, passive, no, we don't use that much, and perfect. But passive means it was something done outside of self. It's, in other words, it was something God did for him. It was action taken on him. So if it's in the passive sense, it means I didn't do it, someone else did it on me. So it says God justified him. So it was an act of God. God justified him. It's in the perfect tense, which means it happened at a point in time and had ongoing results. So God took this action to justify him at that point in time, and then it had ongoing results. It wasn't just a one-time happening. It continued. And then justified means reckoned as righteous. In other words, acquitted of his sin. We talked about this, this a couple weeks ago. Basically, he was declared righteous. Declared totally righteous. Acquitted. It was God's action, not man. Salvation is not earned by us. We cannot earn it. We only accept it or reject it. It's a, it's a gift. For by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so no one can boast. Just, this man was justified, declared righteous. So we have two options, exalt yourself and be humbled, or humble yourself and be exalted. The tax man did not earn forgiveness by his prayer of humility either. That'd be the same error as the Pharisee. Instead, it was confession of sin, and then God forgave him. Verse 14, second part says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's the principle behind answered prayer. Prayer that works. The religious man, 
or the tax man? Which one are you? God wants to answer your prayers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you hear and answer prayer. And Father, as we deal with many things in our world today, I pray that you would teach us again to humble ourselves, to humble ourselves as individuals, as a church fellowship, as, as a nation before you. I know we're celebrating independence and you did an incredible thing over 200 years ago to set up a country that started by worshiping you and celebrating freedom of worship and freedom of religion. And you've raised up over the years to send missionaries around the globe. The greatest sending country in history. But God, we've dealt with pride many times. And we've been in need, and at those times that we need you, you said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven, and I will heal their land. So we want to pray prayers that work. We want to humble ourselves before you today and pray that you would heal our land. And I pray, God, as we celebrate Independence Day, we celebrate Fourth of July with, with today a brunch and, and other times picnics and traveling to visit family and friends, I pray that we will not forget our total dependence on you. Independence Day, celebrating dependence on God. And I pray that we will be drawn closer to you and you will answer our prayers. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we?